Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We're a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into this same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and to reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Well, I'd like to start out our message this morning with with an opportunity for true confession. And um, this confession relates to one very specific area. How many of you have ever fallen asleep during a sermon? Okay. Uh, You'll notice my hand is raised. That's uh, not an accident. Uh, They say confession is good for the soul, and so... I hope, uh, I hope we've been helped by this time that we've had together. Now I'd like to uh, go off on a little tangent, uh, kind of circle around. If we could have any guest speaker throughout human history come and speak in our church, who would you want to have? Good. Everybody got the, the right answer first, Jesus. If we can have any guest speaker throughout all of history come and speak in our church, of course, we want Jesus to come. Okay, who's second choice? Okay, I hear everybody saying, Paul, he's my second choice too. If we could have any guest speaker in the world come, of course, we want Jesus to come first. It's like, well, Jesus um, is speaking at a different church this week, and so uh, we have the Apostle Paul coming, and he's going to speak. Next question. The Apostle Paul is here speaking in our church, and you fall asleep during his message. How do you feel? Yeah, and then the next question. The Apostle Paul is speaking in our church. You fall asleep during his message. Someone writes it down in the Bible. And for the next 2,000 years, everybody that reads the Bible reads about you falling asleep during Paul's message. How do you feel about that? That happened to some poor guy named Eutychus. And uh, we're going to read about him today in the chapter we're studying. So if you would like to open in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. And we have uh, 38 verses here, so this is a, uh, you know, somewhat longish passage of Scripture, but we're going to read it all, and so I'd like to invite you to stand in honor of God's Word. Well, I read Acts chapter 20 in your hearing. Acts chapter 20 says, after the uproar had ceased, and we'll talk about that a little bit, that was in Ephesus, there was a riot there. Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. Now when he had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece and stayed three months. And when the Jews plotted against him as he was about to set sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. And Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia. Also Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians, Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derbe, and Timothy, and Tychicus, and Trophimus of Asia. These men going ahead waited for us at Troas. 
But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days joined them at Troas, where we stayed seven days. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. And in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down, fell on him, and embracing him said, Do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. Now when he had come up, had broken bread and eaten, and talked a long while, even until daybreak, he departed. And they brought the young man in alive, and they were not a little comforted. Then we went ahead to the ship and sailed to Assos, there intending to take Paul on board, for so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and came to Mytilene, I think. We sailed from there, and the next day came opposite Chios. The following day, we arrived at Samos and stayed at Trogilium. The next day, we came to Miletus, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaiming it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God, and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore I testify you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch, And remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. 
I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would, not, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Pray that as we look at it today that you would give us understanding of what you want to say to us. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, the chapter covers a lot of geography, and so I'd like to start out with a map and just kind of uh, see this area that it covers. And so at the beginning of the chapter, Paul is in Ephesus, and that's there. And uh, he's been there for quite a while, and there's been a riot, and so he's heading out of town. And uh, in verse 2, we see him traveling through Macedonia and Greece. So he leaves Ephesus and goes up to Macedonia and travels through Macedonia and into Greece. And verse 3 says that he stays in Greece for three months, and uh, then he heads back into Macedonia. And so he heads up, and he comes to Philippi, right there, in uh, verse 6. And then from Philippi, he travels on to Troas. And he remains in Troas until verse 13, and then he hikes to Azos, and uh, that's about there. And then he gets on the ship and sails to Mytilene, Chio, Samos, Tregolium, and Miletus. So through here. And then the rest of the chapter he spends in Miletus. And so you can see he covers a lot of ground during the course of the chapter. But most of the chapter focuses on his ministry in just two places. It focuses on his ministry in Troas, and it focuses on his ministry in Miletus. And so we're going to look at those two cities in particular and what happened there. And what happened in Troas is described in verses 6 through 12, and uh, that's where we have the experience that poor Eutychus experienced. And um, if you want to... So there's the main Roman road through Troas. Paul undoubtedly walked down this road while he was there. Um, the action in Troas begins in verse 7, and it says it took place on the first day of the week. And this is almost certainly according to the Jewish reckoning of the days of the week, which begin at sunset. So this means beginning at sunset on Saturday evening until sunset on Sunday evening. And they are gathering on the first day of the week because Jesus Christ rose from the dead on the first day of the week. And so the believers in Jesus Christ uh, from the beginning began to celebrate 
on the first day of the week that Jesus was alive and they would gather to worship him. And so as the church in Troas then is gathering on the first day of the week, uh, Paul is speaking to them. And um, you can also see in verse 7 that he preached a very, very long sermon. Because assuming that they gather at sunset on uh, Saturday evening, that's probably about 6 p.m., and it says he preached till midnight. So he had a six-hour-long sermon. And uh, we don't have that very often here. Uh, but uh, Paul preached for six hours. And uh, in verse 8, poor Eutychus. He's sitting in the windowsill. Uh, at least he got a seat. And it's probably warm. And Paul is talking a long time. And Eutychus has probably worked a full day. Um, good chance he's a slave. Um, maybe not. But uh, nonetheless, it's getting late. And it's getting later. And it's getting later. And he's reasonably comfortable and he's warm. And he gets more and more relaxed. And uh, finally he begins to have some very deep prayer. And... Uh, the upshot of it is he falls asleep and he falls out of the window and he's on the third story. And he falls to the ground and it kills him. Now, I've had people fall asleep during my messages, but I don't think anybody's died yet. Uh, at least I, I haven't heard. But, uh, but this happened. Paul is preaching, someone falls asleep and they die. And I've uh, also not had anyone raised from the dead during any of my messages, but that happens in this one too. So, so Paul goes down and he throws himself on Eutychus and uh, life is restored to Eutychus's body. God is all-powerful. He can do a miracle any time that it pleases him to do so. But God did a lot of them in conjunction with the ministry of the apostles. And the reason he did that is he was validating the apostles as his authorized messengers of the message that was going to be written down in the New Testament and preserved for us. And so this is just another example of many, many miracles that were done through the Apostle Paul. And we've seen many other miracles that were done through Peter and the other apostles. And uh, God validated the message through them. And so we have a six-hour sermon, a death, a resurrection. And then in verse 11, he preaches for another six hours. So it's midnight, you know, Eutychus dies, he gets raised from the dead, and then he preaches until the break of day, about 6 a.m. the next morning. And so probably have a good 12-hour sermon in there, interrupted by the death of one of the listeners and the resurrection of one of the listeners. And the question is, why did the Apostle Paul preach such a long sermon? It wasn't 20 minutes, it wasn't 45 minutes, it wasn't two hours. It was a 12-hour sermon. Why did the Apostle Paul preach a 12-hour sermon? And I'd like to suggest to you the reason was is because he had so much information that he needed to give to the church in Troas that it took 12 hours to get it all across. 
Now you need to remember that the church in Troas, uh, they didn't have the New Testament all written down and collected for them yet. Uh, the books of the New Testament at this point, some of them were starting to be written. And so there's a good chance, for example, that by this point, uh, the book of Thessalonians might have been written, for example, and some of the other books, some of the other letters of Paul. And they had gone to various cities. But uh, the, the book, the New Testament in its entirety was not yet recorded. It was not yet gathered together, and it was not yet circulated to the churches. And so for the church in Troas, they've got the Old Testament but as far as New Testament truth, this is their opportunity to get New Testament truth that they won't be able to get for years to come until although that other information gets collected together and uh, circulated so that they can get it. And uh, we know from later on, it talks in uh, verse 25 that this is going to be the Apostle Paul's last visit to the area. So until those letters and those other books are collected and they get written down and copied, and they come back to the church in Troas. This is their last chance to receive God's inerrant word from the mouth of an apostle until whenever that takes place. And so this is a golden opportunity for them. And it's such a great opportunity that they're willing to endure a 12-hour sermon in order to get it. Now, for us, we've got a great opportunity because it's been all collected together and bound together and printed in black and white, and you can have your choice of small print or large print or giant print or super giant print or uh, electronic format and uh, red letter or black letter editions and uh, all kinds of notes. I mean, we have it all written down and gathered and collected for us in black and white. And it's just as important for our church as it was for the church in Troas. We need God's word just as much as the church in Troas needed it. And praise the Lord, we don't have to sit in a 12-hour sermon to get it and then try to remember it for the next 10 years until we manage to get a written copy. Uh, we can open it every day and we can read it. And so don't just let your Bible sit on the shelf and gather dust. Um, Eutychus died so that he could hear God's word. Um, praise the Lord, he was resurrected. Uh, but it's important, and you need it. So spend time reading God's word on a regular basis so that you can receive the blessing that the church in Troas was willing to sit 12 hours to get just a part of before Paul left for Jerusalem. Well, after Paul was finished with his ministry in Troas, then he moved down to Miletus. And um, I've got a picture there, too. That shows you uh, what's left of the city today. Uh, not much, but uh, it was pretty impressive in Paul's day. Uh, but in Miletus, Paul was not ministering to the church in Miletus. In Miletus, Paul was ministering to the elders of the church in Ephesus because they had come down from Ephesus to meet him in Miletus so that he could talk to him there. And so just saying the elders of the church in Ephesus, that tells us a little something about church leadership. You can notice in verse 17, from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. So how many elders did he call for? And the answer is more than one. 
because it's elders of the church in Ephesus. So he called for more than one elder from Ephesus. And how many churches did he call for the elders from? One. It was the church in Ephesus. Verse 17, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. The elders, plural, the church, singular. And so the church in Ephesus was led by more than one elder. And this is a pattern throughout the New Testament. You generally see one church, more than one elders. And so it's a pattern that we try to follow in the life of our church. And then if we jump down to verse 28, we can see a little bit more about church leadership. Because as he's talking to the elders of the church in Ephesus, he says, Therefore take heed to yourself and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And so who is he talking to? He's talking to the elders of the church in Ephesus, and he says to them that God has made them overseers, and he tells them to shepherd the church of God. And so we see him referring to three different roles for this one group of men. They're elders, they should show spiritual maturity. They're overseers, they should provide spiritual leadership. They're shepherds, they should feed and protect the flock of God. And we have common terms that are uh, derived from these tasks. We have the term elders, of course, that's pretty straightforward. Uh, we have the term bishops. Did you know the word overseers here is episkopos, and that's the word from which we get the English word bishops. And so we have elders, we have bishops, and then they're supposed to shepherd the flock. That's actually where we get the word pastor because it comes through the Latin and then it becomes pastor as it gets anglicized. And so we have elders, we have bishops, we have pastors. They're the same group of men. Here are elders, they're bishops, they're pastors. And so we have 10 elders in our church. Uh, we have uh, Jeremy Cobb, we have Keith Day, Ron McIntyre, Bill Nelson, Matt Nicholson, Doug Pape, Jay Raymond, Cameron Smith, Tom Vandenberg, and Mark Walters. And all 10 of these elders share the same office, the same authority, and the same roles. And so, you know, we could talk about Elder Jeremy Cobb, or we can talk about Bishop Bill Nelson, and talk about Pastor Jay Raymond. Uh, we can use any of the three titles to refer to all of the 10 men. Now, it's true that in our church, we usually use the term pastor to talk about the elders who get paid by the church, and we usually use the term elders to talk about the pastors who aren't paid by the church. But actually, uh, they're all the same role, and uh, you can use any of the titles to uh, refer to any of the 10 men. So if you want to talk to Bishop Mark Walters after the service, he's uh, right there, uh, and uh, you can have a little conversation with him, or uh, if you want to talk to Pastor Bill Nelson, he's right there, or uh, Elder Tom Vandenberg, I'm here. Uh, we're, we're all available to you 
to try to serve this particular church family. But as we're looking at uh, verse 28 and we're learning a little bit about church leadership, we also see a really interesting statement here. It says uh, that they are to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Now, whose church are we talking about? God's. We're talking about God's church, the church of God, the church that belongs to God. And what did God do? He purchased the church with his own blood. So what's that tell us about Jesus? It tells us Jesus is God because it says the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. It's a direct reference to Jesus as being God and purchasing the church with his own blood. Now, now some people don't like what that verse says, and so they would like it to be translated differently. I'm going to give you a little practical rule of Bible study this morning, and um, this you won't find in any book, but if you follow this practical rule, I guarantee it will never steer you wrong. And that practical rule is if the King James Version and the New King James Version and the New American Standard Version and the New International Version and the English Standard Version and the Christian Standard Version all say exactly the same thing, that's what the Greek says. And so there you have a free rule of Bible study, no extra charge. Uh, you can take that home and write it down. Uh, anytime all those translations agree, Anytime they say it says the same thing, that's what the Greek said. And in this particular case, the Greek says the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So Jesus, God the Son, purchased the church with his own blood. And your elders, your bishops, your pastors, they have the responsibility of feeding that flock, caring for it on his behalf. And so, as we transition to the Lord's Supper this morning, we are celebrating the fact that Jesus Christ purchased us with his own blood. That we once were lost sinners. We had no hope. We could not save ourselves. We had offended a holy, righteous, and pure God. And there was nothing we could do to pay for our sins. And when we were lost and helpless and hopeless, Jesus Christ, God the Son, became a man, was born to a virgin, lived the perfect life that we could not live, and then went to the cross and paid the penalty that we deserved to pay for our sins so that we could be reconciled to God through faith in him. And he rose again from the dead on the third day so that whoever calls on the name of the Lord might be saved. Today he's sitting at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. If you have never come to him and received cleansing from your sins and, and uh, reconciliation with God through faith in him, you can call on him today. You just bow your head and you pray, you talk to him and you say, Jesus, I confess to you that I have sinned. And I admit there's nothing I can do to make me right with God. But you did what I could not do. 
You bore my sins on the cross. And so I trust in you today, and I ask you to save me and reconcile me with God the Father. And he'll do that. And that's what we celebrate here as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And so I'd like to invite our worship team and our servers to come and assist us as we celebrate the Lord's Supper today. And so in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 11, in verses 23 to 26, Oh, I'm in chapter 12. No wonder it doesn't make sense. There we go. It says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And so let's give thanks for the bread. Heavenly Father, we thank you that when we were without hope, you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, that he gave his body to be broken for us, and that today we partake of this bread as a picture of that broken body, and we remember what he has done on our behalf. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check out fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.